0: Welcome. I'm Anna Marie Slott, Ashurst Global Sustainability Partner, and this is our latest bonus episode on ESG Matters at Ashurst. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Harriet Lamb, CEO of Ashton, Climate Solutions Charity, and Roger McCurley, founder of the Environmental Business Network. This is our first in person podcast recording, so very exciting for all of us. Um, and today we're really going to learn from Harriet and Roger on the successes Harriet has had with the Fair Trade Foundation, what we can learn from that for climate, and then also insights, um, particularly from Roger, on how SMEs figure into this solution. So thank you both for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Maybe we could start with just a few um, uh, minutes of description on um, your backgrounds and
1: how you come to be here today. Well, what a treat to be here in person, as you say, Anna-Marie, that's such a joy. Uh, And as you say, I work at Ashton, we're a charity focused on finding often those companies or initiatives that are finding new and innovative ways to contribute to tackling climate change. And we really want to really amplify those positive solutions. So it was really great talking to Roger about exactly the same issue, really. How can small and medium-sized enterprises be in the forefront of the journey to net zero?
2: Yeah, I'd echo that. It's superb to be here. It's really exciting. Um, yeah, so I set the Envi- Environmental Business Network up and we launched here at Ashes, where we are, um, on a wet, windy November evening in 2019. And then COVID came along. So we had to um, rethink our plans, but we, we, we're, we're back again with that. And the, the EBN is a platform, basically, to bring all types of business together that believe that good environmental behavior should run through the DNA of every organization. And our, our membership splits into three groups. One is the, those who are professionals within environmental roles in, in large privates and, and uh, corporates. And we have people who supply them in and, and their supply chain. But what we're finding, what we're really excited about is that the interest we've had from how we describe it just as the general business market, and particularly the SME space, who are waking up, but are not woken yet, to the whole notion of climate change and what their role is within that. So we liken it to say we're very much a business organisation. And we say that the, the environmental, uh, the, the climate crisis is the backcloth to our stage but to take the analogy ridiculous lens further the the play that we act out is about what is the impact of and the role for business within that whole space.
1: I think what's one immediate similarity with fair trade was that that was exactly about collaboration no one can be a lone hero battling on these issues of justice or tackling climate change it's exactly about businesses coming together sharing best practice and helping create a movement that takes everyone forward.
0: Yeah and and that's an excellent point Harriet and really I'd love for you to expand on because you you led the fair trade movement in the UK which is one of Britain's most active grassroots movements and so you know as we we as businesses become aware of this and as this becomes an issue around climate change and climate restoration what can you lear- can you share from those learnings at at that, at that level
1: Well, when we started Fairtrade many, many years ago, I mean, honestly, everyone laughed at us. They said, you'll never make it work. It will never succeed. Uh, And today, 90% of the public know about Fairtrade. There are thousands of products. It's reaching one and a half million farmers and workers and I think key to that success was actually those companies that were ready to take a risk early on, if you like. So actually the first, um, I don't know if you know which was the first product to carry the fair trade mark, but it was actually Green and Blacks, their Maya Gold chocolate, which uh, Sam made in the kitchen with his wife. I mean, they were the ultimate SME. <laughs> and now, of course, it's an enormous, highly successful global brand. Uh, and what They found, and what all companies found actually, was the more you committed to fair trade, the greater the gain you got. So when you offered fair trade as one of the options among your thousands of products, it tended to get lost. When you made fair trade absolutely central to the way you did business, that's when you saw the real gains. So I can give you an example would be actually Tate & Lyle, a very big company, of course, but just down the river here. And because of trade regulations changing, Tate & Lyle thought it would be clever to uh, find a way for all their range to become fair trade. And that is such a huge statement to go to that kind of scale and therefore they got the benefits at scale. Their employees were thrilled and were really proud of their company. They were especially proud because for the first time ever, they were getting lovely on the customer line. They were getting lots of compliments. They said normally they got complaints, people moan, they got a stone in their sugar, they were angry, instead of which they had customers saying, yeah. I can't believe Tate and Nile have done this brave move. I'm now going to become your more loyal customer. So it worked for the customers. That means, of course, it works financially. It worked in their supply chain with other customers who use their sugar, the big chocolate brands, for example. So it worked financially. It worked for their customers. It worked for their employees. And so it was a really positive, virtuous circle, if you like. And I think that's where we need to get to with uh, moving to net zero as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. No fascinating parallels, especially like with the with the points around supply chain and how it fits into that wider, that wider picture. And I think companies who are really thinking about this properly are thinking about their entire sustainability from you know end to end. Maybe Roger, obviously, you know, when people talk about this, the first thing people think is costs. It's gonna cost me more, I have to do all of this work, I don't even know where to start. Um, why do you think SMEs in particular should be putting in place net zero action plans when, when that, those costs seem so big and, and their individual impact they maybe, maybe seem a little bit smaller?
2: Yeah, I mean, a great question. I think um, the first and obvious answer is to help reverse climate change. Um, and let's not hide from that as well. You know, there is a, a, an existential threat that needs to be addressed. Um, but from a business point of view, I think the first thing is the the, the fear is out there that, uh, that systemic change and, and that is a term I hear used a lot that the only way to to fix this is through systemic change implicitly people think well, that's going to cost an absolute fortune and of course as we as everybody's coming out of the, the the covid crisis and businesses are trying to survive it is difficult to get people to, uh, you know CEOs and boards of businesses to focus on anything other than survival and the bottom line but Uh, costs don't have to be disproportionate I think that not everything is going to necessarily cost more money Um, people who know more than I do would easily um, have the the equation that tells us how the move to electric vehicles in the next three years is a no-brainer and actually will save you money so there are issues around that it doesn't have to necessarily be just cost I think a lot of it actually is about behaviors and culture within an organization and getting people to think differently, and, and again, that doesn't necessarily have to cost. It's it's something just about an attitude change. And you know, ten small actions from every SME is going to have a huge impact. But but the commercially, um, and Harriet said it with with um, green and blacks. It's but who are the early adopters? And I think there is a real opportunity over what period? I don't know, three to five. I think maximum three to five years maximum, where. SMEs, particularly, or larger private organizations that really embrace um, a, a transformation to a net zero culture. And there's a lot of steps on that way. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as it sounds, does it, at um, uh, day one. I think they're going to get the chance to significantly build brand equity, their ability to recruit the next generation. Uh, not to say that everybody is bought into that, but there's evidence that the next generation of recruits will be more committed than their parents. Um, and some stage so that's kind of if you like an offensive approach as to why they should do it because they can get on the front foot defensively scope three is going to impact everybody at some stage and they're going to face up to situations where their suppliers are making big demands of them and they need to be able to address them so there's there's kind of existential offensive from a marketing point of view and defensive from a from a business point of view
0: now excellent points and and so I guess, Harriet, can we pull out one other thing f- just from your particular background, you know, in, in the fair trade movement and its focus on fairness? Um, it's in the title. Uh, what, In particular, you know, when people talk about climate change and they talk about the race to net zero, there is this kind of question in the back also about the just transition, right? And, and so why do you think maybe that that those two should stay linked? Why is that crucial to the business community and, and what can you know the more forward looking those early adopters do uh, to help support the connection between those two?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, that many people are worried. Will they get? Will they lose their job as we change, as society transitions to a zero-carbon uh, economy and society? And so it's absolutely vital that we address those fears head on because otherwise, well, firstly, those people might lose out and we can't face a situation where more people are going to lose jobs, particularly coming out of COVID. And, I mean, I live in the northeast of England and there are communities there that were decimated when we co- closed the coal mines, and they still are. So we cannot have... Uh, a transition that is not just this time we have to do it in a way that benefits the people at the bottom of society the poorest people who and that they see a benefit that they see ah if we tackle climate change there are actually jobs and skills and opportunities for me in that and that's matters because we need to address inequality in society as much as we need to address climate change and it matters because that makes sure we get the public mandate we don't want to end up like in paris brought to a standstill by the gilets jaunes who you know were in the streets saying well you're worrying about the end of the world i'm worrying about the end of the week and so we have to address people's concerns and it has to be a fair transition In doing that, I absolutely think there are amazing opportunities for small and medium-sized companies that come out of the traps first and fast, if you like. Just to take one example, uh, we know we need to install thousands of, of heat pumps. We've got to replace all our gas boilers and we've got to move to heat pumps. There is a gaping gap in the market. There are simply not enough people who know how to install heat pumps. Same story on retrofitting or improving homes. We know we only have 2% of the retrofit coordinators that we need. We only have a tiny fraction of the people trained in how to do those retrofits those are amazing opportunities. Another opportunity is we know we're going to switch to having all our goods delivered by, for example, electric bicycles instead of vans driving around our cities. So there's an opportunity. And we know, for example, e-cargo bikes who got in early, they got a contract with the co-op, they're finding out new ways of delivering food in In the local community, which also brings benefits because it's your friendly driver of your pedal bicycle who you know who lives nearby. And so I think there are um, fantastic opportunities out there for new companies or for companies to switch into these new sectors as well as opportunities for companies to look at all their operations and think, well, how can I be one of the leaders in what I do now? Maybe they don't do, they can't do retrofit or electric bikes, but every company needs to and can look and think, well, how can I be one of those early adopters that then delights investors, delights my customers, uh, builds really loyal employees and actually can help save me money or, or make money in the long run by being there first yeah, no,
0: definitely, and that 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 mindset shift—that thinking about what you do as a company, not in your product, but in in your delivery, right? Which is which has got huge opportunities. You know, big big companies that have shifted from oil and gas into energy right? I'm an energy company or, you know, I'm I'm a logistics company and it doesn't matter if I'm delivering X or Y, like I'm looking at the bigger picture.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I can give you two examples there. One is um, Dong, which is Danish <laughs> oil and natural gas. The clue is in the name, have switched to being almost 99% renewable. They're now called Allstead. Wow. I mean, you kind of think if they can do it, Anyone can do it. But I can give you another really good example. I don't know about you two if you're clumsy with your cups of coffee, but there was um, a carpet company. I don't know if you know this example, Interface, and what they felt really bad was that clumsy clots were throwing their coffee and the company was redoing the entire carpet of the office, even though actually the the, the mess was quite small. So then they came up with the idea of having floor tiles So if you do throw your coffee to the floor, you don't have to replace the whole carpet. You only have to put the little tile in. Well, it was a really good idea for reducing our use of the world's resources. It was a fantastic business breakthrough for them. They became an absolute leading company in floor tiles for carpeting offices. So they did the right thing for the environment and it turned out to be really good for their business. So I kind of think it's about all of us applying our minds to think, where are those solutions? Mm.
0: Excellent. And Roger, any thoughts from you? Where, where, where do you think the business community needs to focus? I think, you know, we've got some great ideas from Harriet, but.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think there needs to be a mindset shift. Um, I talk to an awful lot of businesses, large and small corporates, right down to, to very small SMEs. And um, one, one of the things that concerns me is I don't think there is enough awareness of, of the challenge and, and the need and therefore the opportunities, because that's going to come last after you've addressed, the wow, what's going on here? So I think that there needs to be a big education program. And, and, and that's sort of what we're trying to do is to say, just come and talk to each other and learn. Um, but I, I would say the um, a, a mindset shift is important. And as particularly as we come outside of um, the COVID recovery, and hopefully we'll see that happen. Corporates and large privates, I think the first thing is you've got to put a plan in place. And I read a um, Edie did a, a survey recently last week, I think, that said forty five percent of UK businesses hadn't got a plan in place. Now, okay, whether the numbers were big enough, I don't know. But that that was when you drill down, that's forty five percent of the businesses. The people I asked all had internal employed carbon, energy, environmental sustainability professionals. This so this was forty five percent, unless I've misinterpreted this, of those that actually have people who are paid to do this job so that's a bit of a worry really when you think that the rest of the 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 market mostly haven't got people who are paid to do this type type of job so i think the first thing that corporates and large private organizations got to do is get a plan in place um and a significant number haven't started then i think it's really critical that they help their supply chain as as scope three becomes a reality there are going to be organizations out there who are going to be like rabbits in the headlights, who are going to be told change is coming down your track, you've got to do something differently, you have to account for your own carbon footprint. And and there are people, you know, the government have, have, have done the the hub recently and and we work with um, a great company called Energize and people like that that are out there to help. But it's bewildering. Mm. So the, su- support, the, the the corporates need to help their supply chain. From an SME point of view, it's it's... It's about learning and becoming aware. They've got to get onto this. They cannot pretend it's not happening. And um, I was with a business the other day um, who just steadfastly refused to say, oh, it's all nonsense. And, and so then I took them through a few things they could do from their business point of view. And going back to, to what you said, Harriet, it's not all about the big stuff. It's about learn what's within your world and change that. And I took them through some things. And I said, well, if you change this and you do that, and you look at the, this is a good brand positioning for you to be in. Oh, their attitude changed completely then. Now, that was only because I was there in front of them to be able to say that to them. So I think the SMEs have got to um, get, get, um, get with it, basically, start learning. They, they can't hide from this. And from that, they will see the opportunities that come on. My, my kind of one-off advice would be is that um, for every business to investigate and research the circular economy. Um, because the need to transition to uh, net zero is complicated. I mean, the terminology we've just bandied around here, I mean, to most business, what on earth does ESG mean? And what is scope one, two, and three? And why is it called scope in the first place? And what is net zero as opposed to carbon offsetting? And for people who are in the know... and and talk the language like any business language. There is a business language come around the whole sustainability piece. People outside of it, it it might as well be like learning a new language. So um, they need to, um, if they look at the the circular economy, I think that as a metaphor for what is needed to happen, it's a great place to start and to to look at it, to understand how a marketplace and an economy can change its systemic behaviour without potentially everything going completely pear-shaped for them.
1: Well, it's really interesting if you think of something like eBay is a very early example of the circular economy, but still it sort of felt quite niche until really recently. It's got this huge head of steam behind it, hasn't it? And I don't know if you saw IKEA launched a buyback scheme. You know, you can take your furniture back to IKEA and they will make sure they reuse it. Um, So I I think things are going to move faster perhaps than we might imagine. And, of course, ultimately, there is a legislative commitment in this country. We have to reach net zero by 2050. So we're going to have to do it. I suppose our concern is always that 2050 is too late. And I'm completely with Roger. Really, we needed to be starting yesterday. So it's starting with those small positive steps that everyone can take that actually help break it down. Uh, We do a lot of work with schools, actually, and I think it's the same thing. You think, well, if schools can do it, certainly companies can. But it's the same thing there. You start by having meat-free Monday and then you move to meat-free Wednesday as well. Or you start by encouraging walking or cycling to school uh, one week in the year and then you move to a month. And then gradually, gradually, we can help make those wider behavior changes that you were mentioning.
2: Well, that's right. And I mean, you you can't, I mean, anybody, I'm not a, a culture change specialist, but anybody who is will say you can't just walk into an organization on Monday and say, Everything you knew on Friday is different, so it, it is baby steps. And it was the bit I was interested going back to that research that came out. There was that of those organisations that fifty-two, three percent said they had a plan in place. I was a little bit worried by that because it said that they plan to have their scope one and two uh, programs done by twenty forty. Oh, good gracious! With a view to then saying scope three will be 20, 40, to 50. Now, I think that needs a little bit further investigation on that. But we can't wait. You know, if you're an SME sitting there and you read that, you think, oh, I've got plenty of time. I'll have retired my kids and whoever else will taken over the business, not my problem. It has to happen now. And it has to be about mindset shifts. And the final kind of view we have is let's look for the carrot rather than the stick. Because we've all been through a tough 18 months and businesses are trying to recover. So what we need to say to... You know, the existential threat is very evident and people can look into that as much or as the, little as they dare. But to change, businesses need to see where the incentive is. And we need to say to them, yes, there is bad stuff on the horizon and it's getting a little closer, by the way. But if you change your behaviours now, there are opportunities to succeed commercially. And and that's... I, I spoke to somebody the other day, actually, who, who um, was quite sensitive about that, who said, oh, I'm glad you said that because this guy runs a business. And he said that he wanted to talk to his, business, his employees about commercial opportunity that comes with a more sustainable policy. And he was terrified to use the words commercial opportunities to the next generation of younger people in case they uh, hurled rotten tomatoes at him for, for getting it wrong. And I think that might be the case, but we've got to say that there is a reality. Business needs to be able to win in the short term
1: But also uh, going back to the lessons of fair trade, that was exactly the lesson of Fair trade: that you have to have fun. You have to make it an engaging and positive experience to be part of sustainability shifts. Now, obviously, in Fair trade, it was very lucky we had delicious chocolate and wine and coffee and all kind of goodies to entice people in. But I think in the same way, it's looking at what are the positives that come out of the shifts to sustainability and making it feel upbeat is absolutely critical to helping win people over And No one wants to feel they've got to give up lots of things. Everybody wants to feel, oh, if I improve my home, I'll have a cozy, warm home and lower fuel bills. Oh, if we all walk and cycle more, we'll have cleaner air and we can hear the birds and fewer children will get asthma. These are the real positive things that I think we can bring out.
0: And we might be able to uh, work off those COVID kilos that might have attracted to our frames <laughs> oh, me in too. the intervening <laughs> few months. <Maybe>. So, <laughs> so, I mean, look, thank you both. This has been brilliant. Um, I wish we could go on for, for much longer. Um, but, you know, b- key takeaways – I think for people, don't especially in SMEs, don't be afraid if you don't know the answer. Nobody knows the answer. This is a fast-moving, brand-new way to look at things, and there's huge opportunities if you change your mindset and really approach it in a way of looking for where you can, you can really maximize your success as a business. So thank you both so much. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's been thank great. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to our latest bonus episode. If you'd like to hear more about what Harriet is up to, please see www.ashton.org.uk. And similarly for Roger, please visit theebn.co.uk. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit Ashers.com forward slash podcasts. This special bonus episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashers. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, please also listen to any of our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.